0: Welcome to Fur Worth.
1: I've known about furries for a long time before this experience, but I'd never seen it in action. I, I, I see the furries at the cons, and I ne- I'm always wondering who is in there. That's the first thing I'm wondering. Is it a man? Is it a woman?
0: An introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom.
2: Wait for just one second
3: until yeah, you guys have pulled out.
4: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean,
3: we're pulling out right now, so it's, uh, it's a slow process. <laughs>
0: Are you keeping your curls supple? Oh yeah, and like
3: the mechanism that makes the fire blow out of his mouth—that's probably four grand, right?
5: Is your mane full of tangles and snags? Are you a raccoon? Have you had a potty emergency?
1: Got one right now.
5: (laughs) (laughs) When is the new Animaniacs?
1: Five and a half hours. I got a potty (laughs) emergency.
5: You know, bend it to the right
0: here. Apply ruin tugs, and you'll never need a new shampoo again. (laughs) Hey, poo. Woo-hoo.
5: Welcome to For What It's Worth. I'm back! This is Season 7, Episode 13. Such incredible range. I am Tugs Puppy Bear, and joining me in Salt Lake is Ruchi Lexico.
2: Hello, everyone!
5: <laughs> How are you, Rue?
2: I am doing great. How are you doing, Tugs? We were worried about you last episode.
5: I I know. I I've been job hunting, and I needed a mental health day just to kind of take stock breathe give myself pats on the back you know how it can be after a little while and if also deal with the insomnia I, you know what i've noticed is that as i've as i have left my 20s and started to get into my 30s because i'm old uh things like like job hunting and like stuff that didn't really get to me on like a insomnia level is now like hello and just wants to talk with me all night so like last night i had ridden stimpy eyes till five o'clock uh, and I sound <laughs> oh, like a real I'm sorry I sound like a real pity case saying that I'm not normally like that. I recognize it's temporary. Uh, but you know I just I took a day for myself just to do some breathing, but Voss did a wonderful job of hosting with you. So kudos to you guys.
2: Yay, we did good things. Yeah.
5: So what have you been up to?
2: <laughs> um, so you know, I've been doing a lot of tumor time stuff.
5: I you know damn it! I was like I was I moved the soundboard over to this other computer. I have the stream deck even today. And when I loaded the soundboard, it said I can't find that one bumper. And I was like, ah no, nah, he's not going to do it. Now I need it. <laughs> <laughs> damn it!
2: <laughs> Shit. Well, you can just pretend.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretend. Was fun. All right, anyway, it was, so what is up with your tumor?
2: So uh, basically, they're they're putting in growth hormones. So I've had um I've had to learn how to give Rope. my own shots and stuff like that oh yeah I you were to... saying that
5: you don't you have to like use different yes. sites and stuff was
2: that you have to use yes, different I sites to use different sites
5: okay yeah
2: and so i've been doing that and um it's much easier now i'm not as afraid of needles and injecting myself anymore
5: so i'm able to do it but um
2: it's kicking my ass it's really bad like the, the stuff that's in there like
5: what um, is it like testosterone it, and shit no, no. The stuff that's in there is growth hormones. That's uh, there's so, no, Your body does not make something called growth hormone. It's like endocrine something.
2: I don't know. Oh, I don't okay. know. I'm not a doctor, but I could go get my medication no, right now no, and read it off
5: the no, box. No, 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 no. Um,
2: I don't anyways, need something like a health ad. HGH or whatever. Taking <laughs> growth hormones. So.
5: Rufa's been treated what? with HGH. <laughs> don't have his ice cream. So,
2: it's it's causing me to get super exhausted like i'm really energetic during the day and then five o'clock rolls around and i just like pass out on the couch
5: you know that's 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 the perfect time to get your freak on
2: uh, i'm
5: not able to no no but you should because then you can go i'm just so tired i need you to do all the work it's a (laughs) win-win oh honey (laughs) oh honey child
2: so, that's basically my little update, and other than that, you know, I haven't really had much going on, except I've been just watching Hulu and Amazon Prime, that's pretty much it. Pretty boring. So, what have you been up to? Uh,
5: well, like I said, just some job hunting. I've got a little bit of side work, so it's not like I'm, uh, like dying. But uh, job hunting, uh, my contract, I did contract work. It's weird. I've never done the contract world before. I don't love it. I kind of like full time a little better. So that's what I'm going for. So I've kind of settled into this routine of get up, brew my Tim Hortons coffee because I got a bag when I went to Vancouver and then um, start job hunting, watching apps um, or not apps, but app opportunities come up, stuff like that. And then in the evening, it's dinner time with the husband and so much Splatoon to so I was looking at my Switch the other day, it's like, you played like 550 hours. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Uh, other than staying sane. It's actually stupid fun, and I don't know why I'm still playing it so much. And it's on my mind because of, of today's show, but we were talking last night on voice chat, and we were like, oh, yeah, we should play some other games. What should we play? And I go, you know, one day, I should actually go and play the DLC for Zelda because <laughs> I haven't gotten around to the championship yet. <laughs> I paid money for what, this game mean, content I'm never going to touch. What? You
2: haven't gotten that great big huge motorcycle and jumped no, on it No, no. I don't think I've booted that game up in months. Stuff?
5: No, you know what it is? It's like I'll get on an airplane at some point soon and play it because that's what you do. If I'm near an internet connection, I'm probably going to try and kill people with paint. <laughs> Although uh, we do play Rocket League. You're not? Yeah, no Rocket League. So I guess that sort of counts. It's a different game. But it's when all the shitty stages are up in Splatoons and then we're like, fuck this. Um, but yeah, the the moral of today's story is the switch is going to wind up like my Steam library, full of things that I never touched.
2: Well, you need to just broaden your horizons, Tugs. I'm just <laughs> kidding. It's it's great that you're enjoying the game.
5: It keep Nothing. you know it's stu- I don't know why it's so stupid fun, but it really is. Anyway, do you have your cookie ready? Should I push the cookie button? Yes, push the cookie button. <laughs>
0: Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker.
2: All right, so today's cookie time is brought to you by lovely, lovely Twitter from Brandy Fox Dragon. And he retweeted to us, tomorrow is a good day for trying something new in bed with a cookie.
5: Is it Tomorrow?
2: Yes, tomorrow. Tomorrow.
5: No. (laughs) What about today? (laughs) I have needs now. (laughs) All right, is it time for potty break?
2: Well, just break for a second.
5: Okay. such a good potty break and we are back it's time for the main event well normally Rue would come back we usually take turns but I specifically wrote that I was coming back because I've said something like this before and now I'm going to refine it so when we had Sheen on I was saying I've really wanted Sheen on since before I hosted the show and it's true there's only one person who I wanted on this show before I was on the show, before I was it was even an inkling of a possibility, and now that day has finally come. I am super fucking excited for today's show. So today, we are so happy to be joined by Sean Chiplock. Hi, Sean.
3: Hey, what's up, guys?
5: Uh we finally, we finally oh, talked no, you wait, into it. wait, 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 are you saying you wanted the entire thing by Sheen from, like, the bedfell?
3: I mean, I could also do fatigue if you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
2: So tell us who you are and what do you do.
3: Hello, I am Sean Chiplock. You may know me online as at Sonic Mega, whether it's Twitter, YouPorn, uh, uh Tumblr, they're all the same. <laughs> um but I am a professional voiceover artist who's been living in California since mid-2012. And uh, as of late, you may have heard me in some small things like Revali, Teba, and the Deku Tree in The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, uh, Mishima Yuki in Persona 5. Um, one that's really personal to me, uh, I was the voice of the Kadena class in Maple Story, the new class that just came out. But the one I'm really excited about is a new anime dub coming out for ReZero, starting life in another world. Um, The dub starts dropping on May 8th, and the DVD releases start on June 19th, and uh, I voice Subaru Natsuki, the lead role. So I'm very, Whoa, very excited about that. Really? Yeah. What's
5: yeah, is, what, awesome. is this an Adult Swim thing, or is this on another uh, channel?
3: Yeah, God, I would love if it would be on Adult Swim, but right now it's being distributed by Funimation, and I think it's going to start uh, as a stream on their website, and then obviously they're also doing the physical release. So that's all I know for now, but I would totally love if it got picked up for broadcast down the line.
5: You know how it is. It'll be the next Yasha. It'll be on forever. Uh, oh, man. If only... <laughs>
3: I, I wanna I wanna memorize three songs in Japanese without ever understanding what the words actually mean. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> sort of like that's all probably happened at some point for someone, right?
3: Right. That's that's the funniest thing, is like I know the lyrics to the opening to Full Metal Alchemist, like the original series, not not Brotherhood, the original. I know the lyrics to Ready Steady Go, but I only know them when the music is playing if the music's not playing i can't think of any of the words but if the music is playing i know exactly what the words are Mm.
5: yeah i've got a couple songs like that in other languages that i occasionally play that's funny so are you here's the first burning question are you a furry furry adjacent or just furry aware
3: I, I mean, I mean, it's not even a secret at this point that I've been engaged with the community for a long while. Um, there are a couple artists that you just, they don't have a presence outside of FA, so you're going to need an account if you want to watch them. Although they've been better about that. A lot of them now also have Twitter or Tumblr accounts. Um, but also, just in general, I've been kind of acting as a, uh, not a middleman, but a, a pioneer of helping connect um, independent creators from the furry fandom with more professional project opportunities. So, for example, the big one that I've been talking about is Winds of Change, um, which was heralded by Clace. Originally, Clace was not planning on having any voiceover in the game whatsoever, um, even though it was a very personal project. I was the one who came up and said, hey, I really like what you're doing here. If if you're ever interested in getting you know voiceover involved, even if it's just simple you know sound effects, like if the line is something that's optimistic, so the character goes ah, you know, just like simple stuff. Um, but Clayce is the one who then went full ham on it and decided, you know what, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna include it, I want to make it as quality as possible. So I basically networked with him and worked with him to set up audition threads to get cast members involved. Um, and before anyone cries favoritism, yes, I voiced Sovian Pro in Winds of Change, but I auditioned just like anybody else. I just happened to be the best pick for those roles, according to him. Um, but I did that for Winds of Change. I did that for Kimono Mahjong. Um, there's a indie game project from, oh, I think Qatar, or I don't know, uh, from a foreign country called Arzu Venture that's coming out, and uh, I helped them with casting. So I, I just organically, I have found myself Um, Getting more and more involved with uh, furry creators and indie creators in general, and I think it's really cool. I especially like the idea of helping the family-friendly side of the fandom, and especially the, the creative side of the fandom in terms of interactive media, have a way to make their products even better. And that's not to suggest it wouldn't be good without VO, but just like, hey, I want to help this thing you're passionate about be even more than you thought it could be. And I I like being there and being able to help these creators succeed.
5: So, Furry Aware. Furry Aware? Furry Aware. What? No, I was just, I find Furry Aware is what I was going for. Anyway.
2: Oh, okay. Well, what got you into voice acting? What made you wake up the next day and was like, I want to go into voice acting.
3: Uh, so do you want the long story or do you want the short story? Didn't you go to school? I want for the it? long story. Yeah, you would like it long, wouldn't you? Ooh, I would. So I'll just accept <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> you won't just accept it, you'll take it.
2: <laughs> oh, oh,
5: man. Oh,
3: <laughs> man. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now I just want to see, like, a gif image of, of uh George Takei, but, like, they've done him over in, like, a fursona or just having, like, terrible con ears, and it's, it just shows the text going, oh, man.
5: So He has been recorded saying said- that. Really? Yeah, there is. It wasn't a very good recording. It was. It was someone holding a mic in a crowd that wasn't oh, right up against no. him. And he oh, has said no. it, and I've heard it. But yeah,
2: ah, we so, had an opportunity a long time ago. But needless to say, that's another story. We yeah, almost yeah, yeah. we almost
3: interviewed Mister George Takei. Almost. Oh my goodness! Now I want to know what his sona would have been. That would have been incredible. Okay, um, so what kidding. got me? What got me into voiceover? Um, so what started it was. Actually, really, it's a really unrelated story. What first introduced me to voiceover was doing my Neopets dailies at 3.29 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. There's a point. There's a point. It's all connected. Hear me out. So this was around the time when Adult Swim was really hammering their website. And they were doing it through that really annoying, like, flat-colored neon palette Uh, It's that guy who's like, yeah, you should go to AdultSwim.com. is the coolest place on earth. Like, like literally just nonsensical neon, like overweight guy. I don't remember what it was for, but it was advertising like that every like 10 to 15 minutes in between the shows. And it was pissing me off. So right around like the reshowing of that evening's episode of Fullmetal Alchemist, I was like, all right, you know what, Adult Swim, fine. You win. I'll check out your stupid website. So I did. And as I was browsing around, I happened to come across... You remember the, the old MTV behind the music video? Like, things that they would do where they would showcase the music video, but little factoid bubbles would pop up throughout the song? Yeah. huh. Okay. So they had something like that. It was a clip from an upcoming episode of Trinity Blood. And one of the factoid bubbles was a hyperlink to a separate video. And that video was of Troy Baker, believe it or not, back when the man did anime, um, recording for Abel Night Road because he was the lead role for that anime. And it was, a, it was a dual screen. It was showing Troy Baker in the studio. And it was also showing the screen with the clip that he was dubbing. And it, they show him. They tell him here, all right, let's move on to the next line. Beep, beep, beep. He starts talking. And... My brain suddenly sees that this guy is talking. He's not doing any weird effects to his voice. They're not doing any weird processing, like giving him an echo or a raspy monster effect. It's just Troy Baker talking at the same time that this character's lips are moving. But but he's talking. But, but it's his voice. And it's coming out of... What is
4: this? What is
3: this? And, that's, and and that was when, like, even before I knew what voiceover was, I had already been kind of doing it, because when my brother and I would play Bomberman 64, the second attack, we would take turns trading off, you know, dubbing the text lines that were on the screen. And that's this is when I really realized that voiceover was a thing that people did and got paid for. And at the time, my reason for getting into it was selfish. It was, oh, my God, I can take all of this rambunctious energy I've got, and people will pay me for it. But now... <laughs> Now it's, it's equal parts like heartwarming and and exciting. The heartwarming is like, you know, even when I'm gone, I can still entertain people if they pop in any project that I've been a part of. The exciting part is like all these things that I can do in, in through voiceover that just aren't possible in real life. Like for example, if we talk about when you first meet my character in and Fairy Fencer F, my character Zenk, the first thing you watch him doing is trying to get a grandfather and his granddaughter to fight to the death. And the, grandfather's, <laughs> and the grandfather says, no, please don't make me do that, I refuse. And he kills himself so he doesn't have to. And Zink goes, well, shit, you ruined my fun. All right, guys, grab, grab the grandfather, chop him up into pieces, and force feed them to the granddaughter so I can still have some fun. That's the first you learn of his character. If I tried to do, If I tried to do that in real life, this would be, for what it's worth, from the jail cell
5: <laughs> One day that's probably gonna happen. I just I'm going on the record now.
2: <laughs> what, and I'm gonna be the one that you're gonna
5: be eating? Is that what it is? Well your voice does sound like you'd land someone in jail.
3: Oh my
5: <laughs> oh, with me everything is legal. <laughs> So, okay, right over here. <laughs> so you kind of went through um, your notable roles and, and talked about the ones that are, are personal to you. Um, do you have any other ones that you didn't get into the list that you kind of wanted to, to highlight?
3: Oh, my God. For that, I'm going to have to let me let me burn real quick into my public resume right here. Your IMDB so- page? Yeah, no, no, my I got I've got my public role resume, man. Like if people want to invite me to conventions, my pinned tweet has my resume and like oh, yeah. contact info. It's super easy to know what I offer because that also has like the panels that I offer. It's everything is there. Um so anyway, um stuff that I really like. Uh, obviously, oh, I didn't talk about I was reen Schwarzer in the uh, Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel series. Um and that was really enjoyable because it was my first young male hero protagonist role, and it's also a role that persisted across more than one game. It's like, yeah, a returning role! Um, um, From Breath of the Wild, Teba is actually really personal to me, because Teba was the first... Teba was the one character out of the three I voiced for Breath of the Wild, where what I presented as my audition and what we used for the final game is... The one in the same. They didn't make any tweaks. And it's even more special because people may not realize this, but... If you take Sheen from Bedfellows, and you take his anger and his rage, and instead of making him angry, you just make him bitter, now you have Teva. <laughs> that's literally the inspiration for where Teva came from is what if I took Sheen's anger from Bedfellows and I made it an anger out of bitterness instead of rage um, and similarly in and Danganronpa V3 Killing Harmony I voice a character known as Monotaro who's very crazy and wants all these high school kids to die um, Monotaro <laughs> Monotaro is fatigue without the British accent and with a little bit more robot so that's, that's the magic of voiceover is like, you find these similarities between characters, but it's just like, what, what can I change? What can I play around with to make them unique? And that's why pretty much all the characters that I voice, I have something, either something I learned, something I got to showcase, or something that was a milestone for me that means a lot to me. So what are some of the routines that you end up going through to, to basically prep for a role? Um, so admittedly, before I did my stint uh, at Disneyland, I didn't actually have a warm-up routine, which is very bad. You want to warm up your voice before you're gonna be performing, otherwise you risk a lot of damage. Um so normally what I'll do now is obviously I'll stretch first, and I mean like literally physically stretch, because voiceover can be very physical at times. Um there was I'm trying to think of, of one of the roles that I did that I can talk about. Um yeah, there's a there's a role that I hope I'll be able to talk about soon. But the entire time, like I was pretending to cast spells, I was I was like retching, like I was really just trying to be this disgusting creature. To- oh, um, no, I can talk about uh 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 Green Pitbull from Hyper Hyper Universe. Green Pitbull is literally just a sentient uh, Venus flytrap, and so it was two hours of me going. <laughs> Like, literally, my my favorite line, my favorite line that I did is when he's walking across the battlefield. I swear to God, this is what I did. This is what's in the finished product.
5: Oh, my God. So for those of you who are watching this in 4K in, in your ears, he just, like, played with his lips in front of the mic. Oh, my God.
3: Yeah, play I'm straight. I'm good with playing with lips. Mm. Anyway. Mmm. Saucy. Mm. So, um, uh, so I do the vocal warm-ups, I do the physical warm-ups. Um, my my go-to is I will hum to the tune of uh, the second stage of Dr. Wily's Fortress from I think Mega Man. I think it's from Mega Man 2, but it's just this sliding skill. It goes, hmm, 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 It just does that for like a minute before it slides all the way back down. And it's perfect. It's perfect for practicing my sliding scale of notes. Um, and so that's how I, I involve Mega Man into my daily routine. <laughs> what, what's... Has anybody ever stopped you and it's like, that's Mega Man. <laughs> I mean, if they stopped me, I'd be very concerned because I typically do it while driving 75 miles per hour on the Los Angeles freeway. No, oh, so, I guess that's true. Huh? Well, if you're using an autopilot. Guy, maybe there's some guy who's like, Hey! I like your Mega Man singing, it's very on key! (laughs) And I don't know, because I'm... Yeah, I'm bumping, it's either Mega Man or Toho music or or MapleStory music, like it's always video game stuff and I'm just rocking out. I love singing the falsetto to uh, the Persona, the Battle for Everyone's Souls, the one that goes, "Ah, ah, ah." I'll sing that whole thing, I love it. So you mentioned that you did something for Disneyland, are you able to talk about that? Um, yes. I I briefly worked for uh, California Adventure on the Turtle Talk crew. Oh, really? Oh! Yeah. Really? Yep. Oh, that's fun! That oh is awesome! I, I wasn't able to stay in it for very long because um I had to... It, it was right around the time that I got the lead role for ReZero, and between that job and dubbing for ReZero, my throat would not have survived. So I had to make a choice. And I chose to go because the Disney job was still relatively new, and I kind of already had a career established in freelance voiceover. So if I had – the other reason was because I was making them both work at the cost of having no time whatsoever for my then fiance now wife. And I had to make a choice. I had to pick two of three, and I said, you know what? She moved all the way across the country to live with me so that I I could keep my career local to Los Angeles City. Um, so she moved just to suit my career and and try and start her own in California. And I've already got a voiceover thing going for me. I think it's pretty obvious what the choice was. So I was grateful for the opportunity. I was grateful to be in a position where I had to make a choice about which job to focus on. You know, because some people struggled to find jobs in the first place. And, and I finished my time there and I focused on ReZero.
5: So so take us from ReZero to how the hell you got involved in Bedfellows.
3: So I got involved with Bedfellows the same way I got involved with Wids of Change, which was uh, shamelessly fanboying to the creator and asking if there's a way that I could help get involved or help them find voices. The, this I swear to God, I didn't mean for it to time this way, but I originally messaged the bedfellows twitter account saying do you guys plan on holding auditions or are you going to be looking for voices at any time after the pilot and immediately after i sent the message via twitter i looked up their fa and in going to their fa i found that that same day they had posted a journal opening auditions for the bedfellows oh, man. literally <laughs> literally literally The same day that I thought to message them about it is when they decide to hold auditions. So of course, I sent in auditions and one thing led to another and that's how I got involved on the show. (laughs) That's awesome. So how did you end up coming up with the voices of Sheen and Fatigue? So I'm kind of embarrassed because Fatigue, I I basically wanted to try and emulate the voices that they did. Um, for the pilot, but obviously give my own spin on it. Fatigue, I didn't realize it was a South African accent. I thought it was a British accent. So, of course, okay, Fatigue, a very British accent, and they were like, oh, it's South African, but you know what, at this point, most people don't know the difference, just go for it. And and Fatigue is near and dear to my heart. Like, he's super effeminate, he's super enthusiastic and loving and affectionate. Um, And even even when Bedfellows no longer exists or doesn't continue anymore, Fatigue is a character voice I consistently pull from my repertoire to try and adapt into different character voices for new auditions. Um, Sheen, uh, Sheen I really struggled with for a while because um, I was trying to find like this basis between how gravelly he was and how deep he was. And now you can see at this point, you know, it's pretty hard set. Like I can just voice Sheen, it's a very throaty. I originally, I tried to have even more rasp, but it wasn't working out so now now i just do you know he's just angry and it's all in the in the back of the throat you know he'd be like morty get in the car let's, let's go Morty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 i don't think i'm supposed to be of this to- <laughs> i don't care get in the get in the freaking car Petit <laughs>
5: <laughs> you know it's i i, I, I um... swore i was never going to reveal this uh on a recorded episode but it's it's i've had this fun journey doing the show of meeting the individual parts that made all of the bedfellows happen and um i finally a while about actually a little over a year ago i actually started talking with the real fatigue and um i was like you know it would be so funny if we used your voice on the show and no one knew it was you and everyone just thought the voice of fatigue that they know is the only voice of fatigue and we both kind of laughed about it for a little while And we did use his voice Everyone's heard his voice And now I'm ruining right. the secret Because he was the announcer for the BLFC countdown
3: <gasps> That's who it was? Yeah Oh my god I have, tell, I, ha- I have to tell Timber Puppers Oh my god He's gonna lose his freaking mind <laughs>
5: What? <laughs> There's some story here that you have to share now
3: No, 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 because Timber Puppers, um, um, he's a friend of mine who was also a voice acting colleague, um, and he recently got his his fursuit, uh, uh, I think it's Timber, Uh, anyway, so he recently got his suit, and he went to BLFC, um, or no, he went to, uh, was it BLFC, or maybe it was MF, what was, no, was it Furry Week in Atlanta?
4: The last one? I don't remember anymore.
3: Oh, so you guys were talking about the previous BLFC, Yeah, Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. All right. Uh oh. Maybe dude. it
3: was someone different. I don't know. Huh. Mm. He he was talking about this most recent one. I think it was Furry Week in Atlanta. So oh, yeah, they, yeah. they had they had some kind of, of dance competition announcer and he was like really happy about it. So
5: Oh no, sorry. That one that one's different, but we did have we have had your your inspiration on the air too, and it was uh, a secret up till now. I've okay. ruined the secret. Oh no. How how dare you, Tugs? You're fired. Just no, kidding. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a worthy it's a worthy excuse, that's all I'm gonna say. So you did a lot of work on bedfellows and that's when I started pestering you from time to time and try not to be like super like, cause I get it. You know, you have a life, you've got things going on, you've got all kinds of people bugging you for attention.
3: Whatever. You had him do your voicemail time.
5: I your did. Voicemail.
3: Listen, listen, I'm an actor. That means I'm naturally an attention whore. I need all of the attention at all times in a grape soda. Where
5: is my grape soda? <laughs> No, but but the, the the thing about it is, I've thought about changing that voicemail. I really have, and no, I I can't. Awesome. I'm doing job interviews, and people are like, "I just wanted to call and hear your voicemail." I'm like, "Are you fucking serious? How about offering me a job? Don't call me for my voicemail." Do you
3: want me? Do you want me to record like your new voicemail and make it like Mario Hotel? Just be like, "Welcome to Tug's
5: voicemail, where toast toasts and they pinch back." <laughs> I might take you up on that. So how was it? How was it different doing the Bedfellows video game? Because you also voiced that. Was it pretty much the same routine for you, or did you have to change? You no, know,
3: you know, I liked it for a couple different reasons. One was because by then I had actually settled on what I was going to do for Sheen's voice, um, and so it was consistent across his lines. Like I'm not even going to I'm not even going to pretend that I was consistent on the original series. If you go to like episode one and episode seven and episode fifteen, the character voices are all over the place. Excuse me. So, by, fr- by Frenzy, uh, Sheen's voice had pretty much been locked in. And I really like how I had the chance to showcase fatigue as, as a character. Like, not just a stereotype, but as a character. Because, um towards the end of the bedfellows animated series we were getting to see more of fatigue in terms of like his job his motivations but he was it was too little too late um and prior to that he was kind of more of a uh it was a slapstick it was gay gay man straight man you know how that or gay woman i don't know what gender he is
2: um <laughs> nobody does <laughs> all right so how did you end up getting getting involved with nintendo mm, okay
5: so, Wait, oh wait wait God. wait before you answer that are you tired of hearing questions about nintendo i I Uh, would i I, because it's i i figure at this point that's what you're more known for like bedfellows is niche and fun and furry but like you bedfellows you would not believe
3: like like okay so for most of the start of my career i got used to this conversation so what do you do sean oh i'm a professional voiceover artist oh cool what would i have heard you in uh i'm in Rampa. i don't know what that is Oh, well, I voice, uh, do you pl- do you play any Vita games? Nah, I, don't, I only have a PS3. Oh, okay, well, I voice in this game. I don't have that game. I'm also in this. Like, literally, no one knew anything that I was in. So when Breath of the Wild came out, I was like, yeah! Now when people ask me what I do, I'm going to be like, I'm in the new Legend of Zelda game. And I'm telling you, I'm being dead serious right now. Outside of a convention, outside of a convention or the internet, the closest I have gotten to someone I'm talking to in real life Recognizing what I'm in is when I said, "Oh, I voice uh, three characters in the newest Legend of Zelda game, Breath of the Wild," and the person replied, "Oh, I had a Nintendo." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't uh... need to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I had a so, Nintendo. Once. So I had a Nintendo. Like, like that is that is the level that I am used to. So I don't mind when people, the only reason why I get nervous when people ask about Nintendo isn't because of repetitive questions. It's because I I want to respect Nintendo as a company and I want to respect what their process is. And they're like Disney, they're very, very protective of their IP and their characters and their branding. that's why I don't do any, I don't do comic dubs as Revali and Teva. I don't do personal skits as Revali and Teba, Um, I don't do voice requests as Revali and Teva because that can be considered representing the characters and or the company outside of an official capacity. So when people ask me questions about Nintendo, I'm always in this careful balance between, you know, I'm, I enthusiastically want to talk about it but I don't know how much I can talk about it. And it's, I don't want to cross that line. I don't want to get on Nintendo's bad side because I would love to continue working with them. All right, well, here's the
2: hard questions for you. <clears throat> um, did, did they fly you to Seattle to record?
3: Nope, uh, it was done at Formosa Studios, uh, which is pretty typical. Like there's a lot of recording studios at uh, in California. That's why um, many of the major hubs, if you're talking like radio, um, and commercial and promo, there's New York or Chicago. Uh, Texas is very, very big on anime right now. I think Funimation is the largest anime distributor and localizer. Um, and then LA is kind of like the the catch-all hub. You've got animation, you've got commercial, you've got anime, video game dubbing. LA is just the, the jack-of-all-trades. Um, so because technology has advanced further and further, um, they're able to patch in uh, to record at a separate studio and then patch it into the main company. So, when people ask, like, what was it like recording for Nintendo? My answer is, it was not pretty anticlimactic, because, um, I, I, I look at it this way. Recording for Persona 5 and recording for Breath of the Wild was the same exact process. I went to the recording studio, there was the sound engineer, the casting director, Um, who was going to be in charge of directing me through the lines, and then maybe one or two representatives from the company publishing the game, just to make sure that the character was on spec, that the deliveries were what they wanted. Um, But otherwise, it was just at the same recording studio that I may have been at two weeks ago for a completely different project. Um, And that's how that went.
5: So... This this is the first Zelda that's had voice acting, which has always been the kind first of first
3: canon Zelda that has voice acting. That's true. That's
5: true. I I did I did wait, but I never banged the Dodongos. Um, but, <laughs> but this is the first yeah true canon Zelda that's had voice acting. Very very interesting and bold choice on the part of Nintendo. So how does it feel to know that you were part of that turning point in that I series was... history?
3: I was scared shitless because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm an internet meme lord. I know as well as anybody else about the vast annals of internet history in terms of memes and jokes. And I was very, very well aware of the Zelda CDI series. I, I had done parody uh, scenes imitating the CDI series. And so I knew, I knew that the moment. People were aware that the voice was gonna uh, that the game was gonna have voiceover. It was in some way, shape, or form going to be compared to the CDI series, which meant it was either gonna be it was gonna escape its history and be an example of see this is why CDI isn't canon, and it's because the voice acting is good, or it was gonna be a mockery, and if people were gonna just compare it to CDI and be like they're doing this all over again. And I it, it, it was it made me think of the Miyamoto phrase. It was like a delayed game is eventually good, a bad game is forever bad. You know. You can't really delay voiceover, so it's more of like, good voiceover will stand the test of time, bad voiceover will be forever bad, and people will always have that on my record. So, as excited as I was to voice in Breath of the Wild, and as, as, as emotionally accomplished as I was to get to voice Rivali, I was all business until the game came out and I had enough positive feedback to be like, all right, I didn't ruin this. But once I had that positive feedback, I was like, cool, now I can ruin him through memes.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I, ha- I have to confess, so I I did, the- so there's the four champions in the game, and I did Rivali's section last like an idiot. I-, I-, I decided not to read a thing about how to play the game. Oh, no. Well, no, it was fine. I mean, I'd I beaten the main core before they did DLC edition, and i i got to that point and i was like okay birds i'm so excited for yet another flying around because i'm a human being blah 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 and then Rivali comes on the screen and opens his mouth and i i had a visceral emotional reaction that i haven't had the likes of since i played link's awakening like i don't get super emotional at video games because i know they're games but like Mm -hmm. i almost put the controller down i was like this guy's a dick like i was so mad at him (laughs) within first sentence there's very few people I, I have met a couple people who have made me hate them in one sentence like hi i'm so and so and xyz and i'm like you've told me everything i need to know about you i don't like you and i, I had- like
3: i I like the GIF video where he's like, "Oh, I know. How about up there?" And it it flashes up and it shows Final Destination from Super Smash Brothers Melee. And then when it comes <laughs> when it comes back, it's it's Revali's head is now Falco's head, and he's just doing Falco quotes. And oh. then when he goes off into the air, it's Falco going too <laughs>
5: <laughs> But but you did, it, was, it. Was an incredible job. And so, like, have you been seeing a lot of of reaction like that? Are people just like, "Oh my god"?
3: So, so I, as much as I, I have been seeing responses, like I'm very, very grateful for people who have praised my performance as Rivali. And it's almost weird for me because as uh, identifying with the character, I identified with Rivali, Like I connected to him more than anyone else possibly could have. But in terms of performance, Rivali was a dick. <laughs> like no no no, I, thought, I I've been I've I have a very very long reflection post that I wrote about my experience with performing these characters. Ravali was the character that I thought I would have no trouble locking into, um, because I thought you know he'd be very eccentric, very outlandish, and in the Japanese version he was that way. He was very you know ham uh, ham handed and very you know selling his confidence to the other to the other player. But Nintendo America wanted to go for a more subdued. The difference I tell people is, there's a difference between um, trying to convince people that you're the best and believing that you're the best. Does that make sense? So yeah. yes. so English Rivali believed that he was the best. So he wasn't going all out and trying to convince the people around him that he was the best. And I, I had, it was a level of nuance that I wasn't prepared for, and that I hadn't been practicing prior to coming into the recording session. So I really struggled to find that place for Rivali, And I ended up leaning on the director, Jamie Mortellaro. I, eh. I'm gonna say it correctly because he deserves the credit, Jamie Mortellaro. And I relied on him a lot to guide me into that proper space for Ravalli. So um, people praise me for the performance and I'm so, so, so grateful that, that I did it justice. And at the same time I'm still trying to grasp what I did that made it such a good performance because I relied on Jamie so much and I know that you know he can't do all the work I still have to be there to deliver the line but it's a case where I'm still going back after the fact and studying my own performance and trying to glean what I did right for the future.
5: You you, so I, you I sorry I I just assume that you did stuff for Champions ballad but I'm assuming that's also part of the package right?
3: Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. I did come back for Champion's Ballad. Any, any time that Rivali speaks in the game, it is me performing.
2: So, um, I, I noticed that, um, well, you also played the Deku Tree. Um, so how did you end up, um, gaining that
3: incredible range
2: in your voice?
3: So, here's a funny story about that. Um, first of all, Deku Tree was the only character I was originally cast as for Breath of the Wild. Um, and what happened was, uh, I, I got cast for Deku Tree, and then in the process of recording, I, I don't know the specifics of what happened, but they said, would you like to also, re- uh, do you want to give us a read for Rivali? Because we're looking into uh, casting for him as well. So I don't know if it was the first casting, if it was a recast, no idea, don't ask me about it. Um, so that led to me getting to read for Rivali, and then in the process of reading for Rivali, they wanted to see if I could do a different voice for another Reto, and that's how I did Teva. But when the auditions came, when I got the auditions for Breath of the Wild, they were they were heavily codenamed like everything was codenamed I had no idea what it was actually for um, based on the code words I actually thought it was for a Dragon Quest game how wrong I was well I was still kind of right because we still have like those British accents in there but um, or, or uh, Mediterranean accents right um, but uh, one of the I, I did two characters I decided we could pick up the three characters so I picked the character that was right up my alley which was the the uh, affluent, you know, very self-confident character, which turned out to be Revali. Um, I did a character that was kind of your general hero type, which I'm willing to bet it turned out to be Sidon. I don't know, but just thinking about what I did for that audition, it, it, it makes sense to me. Um, and the third was described as this very ethereal, like almost alien life form, um, um, very wise and very, very aged. And I went to my mentor and I said... I wanna do this one for my third one. And my mentor reasonably said, why? He was very doubtful because I don't do very well typically with lower pitched roles. I I have a problem with aging myself down unnecessarily for anyone who's over the age of 30 and I'm still working on that. But I said, because I, I want you to help me with this. I want to take what I do know and make it into a competitive audition that I can submit. If I can't be super, super baritone deep, then let's see if we can go for a very a very whimsical, a very kind wise approach. And it played in my favor because when I did the callback audition and I did the Deku Tree, the director said, if I were not here with you in this booth, watching you do this, I don't know if I'd believe that you were capable of doing it. And that surprise, that contrast is part of what captured the magic it was whoa we want people who can who can you know go be above and beyond who can do more than we thought them capable of just like how link is more than what we think him capable of um or what Rivali thinks he's capable of um (laughs) and and i think that played a really big role in in how i could showcase the range and play multiple character roles especially since it was non-union they typically want to look for actors who can cover multiple roles just for cost saving uh purposes um so yeah that's how that happened
5: so you were you're kind of touching on this earlier, but I'm curious just on, on an opinion here. So Nintendo is known for being super protective of their characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried to um, talk with Xander Mobus on here, for instance. Right. Uh, I,
3: I was literally going to bring that up. Like, yeah. I know that he used to do Smash announcer requests and then. Mm-mm. Yeah.
5: Well, and I I, I I reached out to him and, you know, same way I reached out to you. Um, and he was like, you know, I'd love to. But, you know, that's when Nintendo had just dropped the hammer. So he couldn't. Uh, he didn't feel like it was a good time for that sort of thing. But it was right. an interesting insight, um, and we've run into it a little bit, too, when we've talked with, like, Kathy yep. Westlock and stuff about the protectiveness. But Nintendo seems to be a shade above everyone else, um, right up there with Disney. But do you think that the voice is more protected now, or the image is more protected, like a printed image?
3: It's, I don't even think it's a case. Like, okay... If I were to go and do skits as Rivali and Teva, I don't think Nintendo is the kind of company that would go and, like, take me to court or sue me unless I was obviously trying to disparage the company. Right. The problem is that Nintendo is very community-focused. Like, the reason why so many of their games are so well-liked is because their development teams work as a cohesive unit. There is a sense of camaraderie. And that extends to all aspects of the game, whether it's the the people who do the 3D modeling, whether it's the voice acting cast, they want a sense of everybody's working together to produce great content as a team. So if I as a person go around and do stuff that makes it seem like I'm trying to take credit, you know, like I'm the reason why this game is popular, you know, I'm, I'm the reason why it did so well. If I come off as a lone wolf, then it goes against that, that family cohesiveness. And even if Nintendo won't take me to court over it, it's very easy for them to be like, you know what? We would rather work with people who will, who will play ball with that family cohesiveness, who work together as a team instead of trying to take credit for themselves. And so the, two, the TLDR is wouldn't take me to court, they just wouldn't bring me back. Um, and I, would, I, I want to maintain a good business relationship with them. I want to respect the 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 time and energy that went into the breath of the wild game and so i just play it safe i don't want to get on their bad side even if i necessarily wouldn't get in trouble for it so did they ask you to come back to
2: record more lines uh, when the dlc was coming out or did they have all that wrapped
3: in already um, that kind of goes into what their recording process was and that's one of those cases where i'm not really comfortable giving info
5: that's fine. <laughs> <clears> That's <throat> fair. So so what we've learned, though, is, I mean, hopefully people who listen to this take it away that, like, when you ask for someone to do a voice that is owned by a company for a character, not the voice, but the character, um, that they can't do it. And it's one of those things that I wish I saw more awareness of in fan communities is that respect for, hey, you know, it is someone's IP, you know, it's not like... right. Um, and it
3: varies. It varies from company... I'm sorry, if you want to keep going. I No, have no, it's fine. Trump. It's fine. No, keep going. It varies from company to company. So, for example, exceed who did the Trails of Cold Steel series... They're super lax. Like, I have done all kinds of shitposts as Rein Schwarzer, like, doing... I did the the Navy Seal copy pasta at one point. I did... If you guys remember that meme where you take an image and a phrase, and then the image gets worse, and the phrase gets longer and longer and longer and more drawn out? I did that with his Balamar summon. Like, Exceed, as long as I'm not, you know, really, like pooping on their company or making them look bad, they're totally cool with it because it's engaging with the community. And a lot of companies are like that, where they're like, hey, you know, let them have their fun, obviously, as long as they're being respectful about it, whatever. It's just that some companies are so big and have so many IPs that have lasted for decades that they're not really interested in having people who aren't part of their brand take it into their own hands. And that's that's when... I, the problem is that there's a much larger number of companies who are pretty lax versus the disney's and the nintendos so it can be hard for people to suddenly hear no i won't or no i can't and just have to accept that
5: so so are go for it Ru.
3: so are you um are you excited to be in the new smash brothers <laughs> <laughs> you, i actually i made a tweet I, I you got the tweet is somewhere in there and i made a facebook post about it and i said if if Revali or some character that I voice shows up in Smash in any format. In any format. Um, Like, he could be a background character, it could be an assist trophy, in any format. I will give away 20 copies. I think it was either 10 or 20 copies of the new Smash game for Switch. Just raffle them up for free. (laughs) If, If Revali shows up as a playable character, I will also raffle off a Nintendo Switch with the game. So... That sounds like a promise. No, I'm just kidding. It is a no. It is a, it is a promise, and I don't want I don't want people to take that to mean oh he's doing that because he's going to do a raffle because he's in the game. I know as much as you guys know, and if I did know any more, I would be under strict NDA not to say anything about it. So I I, I don't know anything.
2: But, <laughs> Darn it! So it's almost better if you would say I can't say anything. <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, don't I go, ne- more.
3: I can neither conform nor deny. <laughs>
2: Well, on that note, we should go on a little break real quick, and then we'll come back, and we'll be talking a little bit more to you. Bye. That was a really really segue.
3: Do you have to? Yeah, Really?
6: Hailing Frequencies Open, Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Wednesday, April 25th, here are your space headlines. This is gonna be a bit of a different segment since, well, publishing schedules aren't always steady. It's been almost a solid month since my last update, so we're gonna do a lightning round. Stand by for action. Engineers are looking at novel ways to clean up space junk, with harpoons and nets. A few concepts have been sent up to the ISS for testing. Ideas range from latching onto wayward satellites or a piece of debris with a harpoon, then deploy a solar sail like Flap to increase drag and bring the object into the atmosphere to burn up. Another idea is to fire a net out at the target to grab hold of it, then increase drag and bring it down. This is something we're absolutely going to need to work on to avoid something called Kessler Syndrome, which is exceptionally dangerous. If you've seen the movie Gravity, that's not an inaccurate portrayal of what could happen. Though the orbital mechanics are quite dubious. Speaking of things entering the atmosphere, back at the beginning of the month, the Chinese space station Tiangong-1 re-entered and burned up over the Pacific. Trackers weren't sure exactly where it would enter and impact, but it looks like it ended up within a reasonable range from what's considered the International Spacecraft Disposal Area, a region where satellites spent rocket stages and various pieces of debris are usually sent to splash down. A SpaceX Dragon cargo mission was launched, using the second-ever Dragon capsule to fly a second mission to the ISS. It rendezvoused with the outpost and offered up its supplies. As of this recording, Dragon is still at the ISS, but it should be departing soon, returning to Earth with science experiments and various components from the station. Four years ago, Virgin Galactic suffered a terrible blow. Their suborbital vehicle, Spaceship Two, named VSS Enterprise, broke up during a powered flight test. It set back the program quite a while as they tried to understand what happened. The investigation was completed, updates to the second Spaceship Two were integrated, and several unpowered flights were conducted. And now, they've got their first powered flight test for the VSS Unity in the books. Expect to see more progress from them as we go forward. Commercial crew program delays continue to concern NASA, To hedge against this, Boeing is considering extending the first crewed flight of their CST-100 Starliner spacecraft from two weeks to up to as much as six months while visiting the station. They would carry an extra crew member as well. The idea is if they do end up delayed, this change in the plan would offset it by pushing up regular functionality of the ship. Instead of just a short trip with a smaller crew, they would replicate a more ordinary mission to the ISS. Here's hoping it works out. The most secretive private rocket company around, Blue Origin, is now competing for U.S. military contracts. They are so confident in their New Glenn rocket, their first orbital-class vehicle, that they want to get in on the action that ULA, Orbital ATK, and SpaceX are all getting a piece of. As of right now, Blue Origin says New Glenn could begin flying as early as the end of 2020, and they're examining launch sites at Vandenberg to supplement their intended launches from Canaveral. Speaking of Orbital ATK, they've recently named their newest launcher, the Omega, a spelled Omega, but the O and A are both capitalized, so not sure exactly how to pronounce that. They're aiming for the first flight to be in 2021, competing for US Air Force contracts. The lifter is almost nothing but solid rocket motors, building on the experience Orbital ATK gained from the shuttle program, since they built the SRBs that attach to the shuttle's external fuel tank. It can even have several strap-on motors to augment its lift capability. It'll be interesting to see how this goes. SpaceX has confirmed that they will be building their brand new ultra-mega-hyper-super-street-fighter-2-turbo-HD-3rd-strike-plus-heavy-lift-rocket, the BFR, in Southern California. They've been busy scouting locations on the waterfront and applied for all the necessary licenses. It's going to be in the Port of Los Angeles. Why aren't they using their existing facilities? Because the BFR is just so dang big. It's going to be 106 meters tall, that's 350 feet, and 9 meters across, that's 30 feet, and their current rocket manufacturing plant just isn't big enough to get something that big out the door. Here's hoping they can stay on schedule. We all know how Elon time works. NASA's new administrator, Jim Bridenstine, has been sworn into office. He's the 13th administrator over the agency, and while I'm trying to remain hopeful, I'm not exactly thrilled. Bridenstine has a history of being a climate change denier, has no formal science background, and while he did run Oklahoma's Air and Space Museum for a time, it suffered rather nasty financial woes under his watch. I'm hoping he'll do better as head of NASA. And if he doesn't, well, he changes with the presidency. NASA's InSight Mars Lander has been mated with the Atlas V booster that will launch it into space. It's slated to fly pre-dawn on May 5th with a two-hour launch window. It's important that it doesn't slip. The Earth-Mars window occurs roughly every two years, and any delays mean changing the flight profile and added Delta-V requirements. That means that they have to burn more to hit the same target. It'll be flying out of Vandenberg in South California. And lastly, something that SpaceX fans everywhere have been eagerly waiting for, the final version of the Falcon 9, what the fans call the Block 5 version, is set to have its first flight within the next week. Launch is scheduled for May 4th out of Florida, and should herald the dream of rapid, inexpensive reusability of an orbital-class booster, and with it, the first crewed flight of Dragon approaches. NASA has stated that SpaceX needs to fly the Falcon 9, I believe, seven times without changing it to human rate the booster. So if this is indeed the final iteration and SpaceX maintains their desired launch cadence of one every two weeks, we could see flight of Crew Dragon as early as August of this year, but expect that to slip to the right. Still, it's really exciting. Wow, okay, that's everything I wanted to talk about that happened since last I wrote an update. Stay tuned for the next episode of For What It's Worth for More. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking
2: up, space fans.
0: Having a reaction to the show topic so far? We want to hear about it. Send your response to this episode and get involved in the discussion. Cast at forwhatitsworth.com. We will read your comments in the next release.
2: To, no, that, that totally sounded like fatigue. Why am I doing that? Because it's <sighs> on the brain, baby.
3: Am I going to have to cut a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. I oh, no, know of only one way that we can figure out which one of us is the real fatigue. With a whore off. <laughs> what are the rules for a whore off? Oh, oh my best
2: God. day ever. No, just kidding. That, that ah. one,
3: if he ever if he ever had to become like a Russian spy, that would be his his moniker. Last name would be Horov.
5: Horoff. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So,
3: what do we have from
5: Patron? Oh, is it Mr. time? Tugs? Okay, let's do the thing.
4: Hey, whoa!
5: <laughs> This episode of For What It's Worth is brought to you by people who think that what we do is worth money for some reason. If you really want to spend your money on stuff that's worth money, go buy a copy of Zelda or something. But in the meantime, we've suckered you into money. So, in no particular order, we want to thank Simone, Booga, Snares, creator of Meteor Showers, free porn. Go now, it's delicious. But not for you if you're straight, sorry. Um, Skylos, Hot Sauce, Guardian Lion, Sig? I think Sig, I'm not sure. Loki Mutt. Rifka, Artorias, Kit, Cody. Cody actually upped his pledge, so we must be really being nice to him, or he's just really in a good mood. And lastly, and leastly, but most deliciously, that's right, the Doritos Locos Taco from Taco Bell is our top-tier sponsor this episode. That's right. I just want to eat him up. Don't interrupt! That's right. It's Docos, the Doritos Locos Taco from your local Taco Bell. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash FWIW, type in your credit card number, maiden name, social security number, and all the other things. We'll borrow your identity and do fun things with it.
4: Yay! You threw me off!
5: (laughs) What? I was, like, in my groove, and you're like, interruption. (laughs) To the the gulag with him.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm just gonna go over here into this little cage I mean, you can't you can't blame him He's a furry Whenever something exciting He's like, oh, attention, wait for me <laughs>
5: Here I am, everyone Oh my god um, so We have
3: some
2: lovely emails that were sent in to us
5: yes. I bet you they're not lovely episode. I bet you they're
3: horrible But let's work through them And,
2: anyway. and, and they're interrogation questions for you
5: Actually, so... I want, I, if you're okay with it Sean, will you read that first one? Because it has a kind of a fun question
3: uh, uh, Wes's email or Jonan's email?
5: Dronin. Okay.
3: <clears throat> Dronin's email. Feel. Uh, I'm gonna do this as Morgan Freeman. So feel free to use or ignore any of these. <laughs> do you warm up your voice before recording? Well, as I answered before, I do. I do warm up. I do those vocal uh, vocal exercises. Um, so I already covered that. For the next one, we're doing Gilbert Godfrey. Do you visualize your character when you're saying the lines? Absolutely. I am super, I am a very, very, uh, physical method actor. When I did Gruda for East Memories of Celstetta, Gruda was this very pompous, book-smart, uh, magician guy. So I actually brought in my copy of Hyrule Historia, and I held it open like I would Robin from Fire Emblem. And I just basically used it to, like, pretend that I was, like, a magician for always preparing to cast a spell. Um... Subaru, I, I for Rezero, I physicalized a lot of the actions that he was doing, like clutching his chest, clutching his stomach. Um, Zenk from Fairy Fencer F, that this is what I'm talking about, getting super physical. My hands were, cl- my fingers were clenched inwards the entire time. My eyes were like super wide. My mouth was super wide. I was sweating by the end of that session because the the crazier and more bloodthirsty I made myself feel, the better my performance became, and the director was loving it. Um, so, yes, I do visualize what I'm saying as I read the lines. Even fabulous Chiron. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Gods and Goddesses, let's get smiting. <laughs> I I actually think I actually think I came up with the one line where he goes, I like my men, like I like my cream. Whipped.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I was upset him.
3: because I didn't, I didn't own a pair of assless chaps to wear to the session. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> but, but Tina, Tina from high res was loving it. We were, we were having fun the entire time. So obviously I didn't want to go. I, I wasn't trying to be a stereotype with it, but I was like doing the sachet. I was smacking the butt. I was blowing kisses. I was doing everything. Um, oh. What's the strangest way you found out about a project that you ended up... Oh, oh, wait. Uh, I have to do it in a voice. Um, well, what's the strangest way you found out about a project that you ended up working on? Oh, thanks, Kermit. Let me answer that for you. Um, strangest way I found out about a project that you ended... Okay. So, um, this isn't quite an answer to that question, but it is an answer to a question. The question being... What is a project that you have been on? Um, so one of the first adult games I worked on was an Egyptian it was basically an Egyptian meat and fuck. Like that's what it was. It was it was and I was. Whoa, playing did the, you say I Egyptian
5: meat and fuck?
3: <laughs> yes, yes, he
5: did. <laughs> okay, I just needed to be sure I heard those words in so that order.
3: I was playing the role of the Minotaur of like Mythos and stuff. So I remember reading the description, I don't know why this was necessary for the line, but I was reading the character description of his junk. Oh. (laughs) And all I, all I remember, I think it was so that, I think it was so that I understood the context of the effort he was putting into completely wrecking her body, consensually, of course. But, um, I I remember it being described as an untrimmed tree trunk with, (laughs) with, (laughs) <laughs> With nodules lining the shaft. And um yeah, it I, honestly honestly it, it sounded like it sounded like what you'd buy from an ice cream truck on a summer's hot day. Um uh so that was <laughs> very fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a race. Yeah, I caught what you said there. So I, I, I still do. I do do adult work. I <laughs> do do. I still do adult work, although it's mostly of a visual novel mate, uh, nature now. It's something that, like, you have to work through the story and develop relationships with the characters. It's not just straight-up porn. Um, but that was a very interesting project. Um, what's a line of dialogue that either you've done or you've heard someone else do and thought, Ooh, yeah, you nailed that. So this is why I'm really, really excited for ReZero. Because anyone who's an anime fan who has watched the ReZero series knows that in episode 14, there is a scene where Subaru Natsuki screams bloody murderous rampage for the better part of a minute and a half. And he's not even the focus of the scene. The villain at that point in the story is just talking over him, and and the camera's on the bad guy, but you can hear Subaru just losing his mind in the background. And I knew, going into that scene, that either I was going to do it right, and my voice was going to be completely torn and shot, Or I was gonna do it wrong and my throat was gonna be torn and shot and I was still gonna have to do it again because I didn't get it right the first time. And we nailed it. The first pass of that bloody murderous screaming rampage. I nailed it. And my my throat was destroyed. We did the safety take, but I guarantee you they're gonna have kept the first time that I did that scene and I cannot wait for people to get to see it, because I'm so proud of it. I am hyper, hyper critical of my own performances all the time, so when I am excited as hell for one of my scenes, that's a sign that I've done a good job. Um, And then finally, have you seen the documentary I Know That Voice? Of course! Of course! I have the book Voice Over Voice Actor from Yuri Lowenthal and Tara Platt. Yuri Lowenthal literally just got to reveal that he was the voice and mocap of Spider-Man for the new PS4 game coming out, so the man clearly is still working in the industry. Um, but yes, I am I am very, very familiar with uh, that documentary, and I guess it's maybe a slight personal goal to be a part of a future version of that.
7: To the cast of For What It's Worth, or FWIW, <laughs> <with> the- colon. <laughs> You guys do phenomenal work. Keep it up. Here's a question for Sean Chiplock. Hey, I originally followed you for your work as Yuki Mishima from Persona 5, and when I found out you were a furry, I was absolutely gushing. You are extremely open with your furriness. Does that impact your professional life in any way? Do coworkers ask questions about it? Thank you for your work, Wes.
3: So that's an interesting question to answer. Uh, first of all, I'm now going to call you guys fui because that's how I look at the acronym. But um, it's an interesting question to answer because, yes, to some degree, the fact that I involve myself with the community on any level presents a risk because if people know me from being in Winds of Change or Kimono Mahjong, they may follow these artists who may also have, you know, not safe for work artwork or just the community in general, which has an adult side. Um, But I I handle it in two different ways. The first is if I'm going to have... uh, If I'm gonna have affection for something, if I'm going to have a passion or a hobby or an interest, it's worth owning it. It's worth just accepting that interest and not acting ashamed about it. So if if someone asks you about an interest that you have and you act embarrassed or shameful, That is a social cue to the person you're talking to that you should be embarrassed or that they should be shaming you. Now, that doesn't mean that you should go about and just, you know, uh, completely tout, like, extremely inappropriate things all the time and be like, Accept it! If you don't love me at my whoriest, you don't deserve me at my bestiest! But... <laughs> it's a case where when people come up and they're like, hey, I think it's really cool that you're involved with the furry community, I'll be like, yeah, I'm glad that they've accepted me and I'm glad that I've been able to contribute. If you just, if you don't act like it's a big deal, people won't treat it like it's a big deal. But the other reason is because at, while I am involved with the community, I don't really, I don't make, like I said, I don't go around touting the fact that I'm in it. And I don't do that out of embarrassment. It's just that in most cases, my involvement in terms of, you know, following artists or commissioning artwork has nothing to do with my career. And if it has nothing to do with my career, which I'm mostly pushing through Twitter and my social media, then it's not worth forcing it into my social
5: media feed. Does that make sense? It's it's, um, it's part it, it's context and it's also it's a part of a whole. It's knowing your audience. Yeah. It's literally it's 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 the people
3: who want to talk to me about that subject, I will talk to about that subject. But to the general people who support me as a whole, as as a whole, they know me as a voiceover artist and that's that's my thing, that's my branding and so that's what I'm gonna stick with. Um, but when pe- it doesn't mean I'm gonna shy away when people bring up the topic, I just don't actively talk about it. But I'll still share like art, I'll st- you don't have to be a furry to share well-made art or projects that are really good, like I think it was, was it Karade recently who got to do the banner art for the upcoming Uh, furry week in atlanta for next year i think so i think I i know let me let me look up real quick like give me like five seconds to see if i can bring it up craig is that her twitter nope that's not it i don't know but whoever whoever recently got to do the banners uh and the the artwork for next year's uh furry week in atlanta it's spectacular art it's spectacularly well done I, don't, you know, I wouldn't have to be a furry to want to share that and be like, yo, give this person praise for this awesome work they did. And I think that's one of the things people are still grabbing like hold of and actually understanding is that as furry as a fandom continues to grow more mainstream and become more in the public sphere, I think they're at that point now where there's more people who look at it and go, this is weird. I want to see what it's like versus this is weird. I'm going to make fun of everybody who's a part of it. So now that it's being tolerated and and accepted and embraced more often than before it's not really crazy to believe that more furry artwork is going to get shared and more furry furry artists are going to be public and people who are connected to the fandom through the work that they do are going to be in the public sphere it's just it's just happening it's
5: happening get used to it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right in the next email vos
7: okay luke arwoff hi to Well, and I go, hey, Tugs, Rue, and Sean, I'll preface this by saying that my question makes the assumption that Sean actually considers himself a furry. If that isn't the case, well, my bad. Anywhore. Yes. For many furs, being open about their identity and the fact that they are the furry community seems like a death sentence to their professional career. I know furries who are lawyers or firefighters that absolutely do not want their furry identity to be revealed to the people they work with. However, I also know furs who work in the game development and social media that are completely open with their peers about being furry. So my question is this. As a professional voice actor, how do you handle these kinds of things? Have your personal interests, furry or otherwise, ever caused issues with people you've worked with or have potentially helped form connections? And if possible, are there any examples of moments like these that you can give? Thanks for all your work, all of you. And keep kicking tail, Luca Wolf.
3: Alright, so Luke or Wolf, I'll go ahead and address all those in order. First of all, I don't know what qualifies as being a furry anymore. Like literally I had a tweet conversation the other day where because I shared like a photo of a Digimon, apparently that makes me a furry. So if what I do <laughs> if what I do and what I talk about like makes me a furry officially, then so be it. Like I literally do not care about the label. Um regarding, I I guess this is kind of a repeat question about the worry of it being a a death sentence to the professional career. So like I said, there are things that I do in order, I I realize the risk that I take in choosing to be involved with the community, although I don't feel like it should be a risk in the first place. So on the first hand, I try and, and be realistic about it. I think, you know, there's probably more people than ever who are part of the fandom who are also working in the industry. So there's probably a good chance that there's folks I work with who also identify with that. They just don't talk about it like I don't. Um, secondly is I like to assume the good in people. I like to assume that m- most companies are too busy with their branding and with whatever they're currently working on to have to, to check every individual actor and make sure they're always, you know, not a potential risk at all times. And I shouldn't say risk, what I mean is um, if you're not posting things that put the company in jeopardy or that represent them badly, they're not really interested in going back and searching your entire um, your entire life story. Now that may be different for companies like Disney or maybe Nintendo, but in general, it's it's how do I describe this? For example, if you think of someone who has an FA account, because I'm positive, let's say for example that there's guaranteed to be at least someone who worked on Zootopia who had an FA account. Like let's just put that out on the table. Statistically, <laughs> it is undeniable that someone on the Zootopia team had an FA account.
5: I can confirm that that's actually true.
3: Right, right, for sure. But, even if we assume that they had, like, adult artwork on their account, you can set it so that people can't look at your account unless they're signed in, which means you have to have your own account. You can set it so that your favorites don't, or, uh, your favorites don't show any adult artwork. And, in general, you can choose, basically, if you wanted to find this person's adult artwork, you'd have to have an account of your own go onto the site turn the search filter off and actively look for it before you'd find it which at that point you're 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 just kind of wishing for it you know it's not <laughs> something you're just stump so it that's different from if you're posting adult artwork or posting furry stuff on your social media all the time for people to see and it's often risqué if you do it like off site on a thing specifically designed for it and other people have to actively look for it to find it then there's nothing to worry about. You're you're not meshing it unnecessarily. So, um, moving on to how do I handle these kinds of things? Exactly that. If I've commissioned artwork, you know, it's I don't post about it on social media. I keep it to myself. Um, obviously, it has led to more connections, which I appreciate. I, I definitely want to be a pioneer in helping uh, furry creators, uh, game designers, animators, etc., um, have a have an ability, have access to talent. Um, more easily, and I really enjoyed being the middleman for a bunch of different clients in that regard. Um, I can't think of any cases where it has caused issues, but then again, I wouldn't know, because the way this industry works, if someone decides they don't wanna work with you, they're just not gonna send you auditions, or they're not gonna cast you when you send in auditions. So I wouldn't know about the people who have issues with me because I'm never gonna work for them. And it's not, it's just something not worth worrying about. So at the end of the day, it really boils down to how do I want to spend my time? Do I want to spend it worrying about being on everyone's good side and trying to to turn the opinions of people who don't like me? Or do I want to spend it being the best person that I can be, engaging in my passions and helping to build up the communities that I like being a part of? And I'm, I'm always going to opt for the latter rather than worry about who may never want to work with me again because I happen to have a particular interest. I'm going to focus instead on helping make the communities that I like better and better and, and sharing that positivity with both the people that I work with and the fans who support what I do. Because that's just going to make me feel better in general. That's going to be more fun than always worrying about if I'm locking myself out of future opportunities. Because... By by being honest and open about my passions and just being upfront and unashamed of them, I may open new opportunities. So it goes both ways. It goes both ways. I think that that deserves a clap. Oh, thank you. Thank the sound effect. (laughs)
5: Somewhere. How how did you? How did you know I had the clap? (laughs) Maximum clap. All right. Are we giving him the clap? Yes. Okay. One, two, three.
2: So, we have another um, email. um, It's from Kit, and this is what he had to say. Hello to the cast of For What It's Worth and to our guest. I'm going to reference the past episode of For What It's Worth. Fatigue Fatigue did an ident for it, and it's my favorite ident to date. Um, So, they just wanted to ask you, do you have any furry crushes? Or... um, because um, in the past we ended up having an episode that was um, related to furry
5: crushes. Um, it's this is now where so, you tell everyone that you like Crystal.
3: Oh man, I've got I've got so many. There's there's uh, there's Mew from Star Fox. Um, trying to think, I'm I'm very happy that Spyro has his trilogy coming back, and I'm Godspeed to all the artists. that are gonna <laughs> hop
5: on that almost immediately. What do you mean? Are going to. Are going to? They are um, I, like the,
3: I like that. I like that Zeraora has been announced because that means Zora Arc and Lucario can finally catch a break. Cass, um, <laughs> Cass Cas is bird dad. Like, oh my god! People, people are like, people are like, yo, I want Rivali to be my husband. I'm like, what drugs are you on? Cass is right there <laughs> um, with that little twinkle in his teeth. Bray is gonna Zootopia. have a
5: heyday if he ever listens to this. I'm thrilled.
3: <laughs> um, um. Obviously, obviously, you can't talk about furry crushes without bringing up Zootopia. Like. My wife and my wife and I at one point had this entire RP like post movie sub story going on, and we were taking turns playing the characters. Like we love the development that went into that movie, and we're really hoping they announce Utopia 2. Not necessarily just so we can have a sequel, but so we can actually buy merch. <laughs> every time we go, every time we go to Disneyland, all they have is the little figurine set. That's the only merch that they have, and by now it's probably not even in the stores anymore. And I want. Merch. When I went to Japan, they had an entire subsection of the Disney store set aside for Zootopia. They had Nick and Judy purses, coin purses. Um, not in that way, you perverts. Um, <laughs> they had they had Nick and Judy like like mini per, uh, mini bags and stuff like that. They had Nick and Judy dolls. It was so cute. And now I, they're all gone. I. Just you know kidding. what?
5: I'm gonna I'm gonna be that guy. It, you you don't like Bolt like I like Bolt. So the fact that they even have little figurines, you're doing way better. Oh my God! Trust you know, me, I, I I went to
3: a Rule Thirty Four panel when I was at Nakacon. So if it exists and people have crushed on it, I'm telling you, I probably saw something during that panel. Oh, Toriel, Toriel from Undertale! How could I forget? You got you got you got to have some thick in your life. Thick thick thighs save lives, people.
2: So <laughs> so they go on a little bit further in their email and then they ask, um, have furries crushed on you yet?
3: So funny story. Um. Mm-hmm when i first did stuff for bedfellows um oh my god when i first did stuff for bedfellows at one point one of the theater at at the college i was at i was part of a theater for community health and the theater director's son said hey i really like the stuff you do for bedfellows i've known about them for a while now that wouldn't be a problem because the animations weren't exactly they weren't they were risque but they weren't explicit the problem was, at the time that he said that, Bedfellows was still primarily a comic. And the comics were much more explicit. The problem also was, this kid was like 14 years old. Oh no! So, so I went home that day <laughs> thinking, Oh my god, what if the next time he sees one of these explicit comics, he hears their lines in my voice?
5: <laughs> I'm sure my uh... god.
3: You've taken
2: oh, no. a kid's innocence.
3: Oh my
5: goodness! There are th- well, it's a good thing no one under eighteen listens to this show because you shouldn't be.
3: I don't know if any. I don't know if any furries have like outright crushed on me, and I if they do, I don't think it's because of my relation to the bedfellows. It would be either because they just really like the work that I do, or because they really like my amazing personality. Um But, yeah, it's just a general thing. But then again, it's probably not worth having a crush on me because I'm happily married and my wife is very good at cutting bitches. (laughs) (laughs) That
5: should be on a shirt.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So they ended up
2: um, finishing the email just saying, I thought it would be kind of fun to see see that if you had any kind of experiences with furry crushes too thanks for reading my email i hope you are all doing well with you know
3: you know prior to the trilogy being announced i did not know about bianca from the third spyro game um i forget what the third spyro game was was it legend like legend of the dragon oh god spyro game three what was it called year of the dragon there we go Spyro, Year of the Dragon. So I didn't know about the existence of Bianca, the bunny mage. Um, But Bianca's actually really nice. And she's going to be in HD. And I have
2: high hopes for that. I'm super excited. But I'm hoping
3: that it will come to the Switch. It is. I really want it on the Switch. Nintendo already messed up. They, like, had that thing. Or someone posted a tweet on Nintendo UK that said, pre-order Spyro Trilogy from, like, GameStop now. And... Oh, really?
5: Uh, Yeah, no, it's coming.
2: Then why hasn't it been announced yet?
5: Timed exclusively. Because it wasn't supposed to be.
2: Uh, I guess it's not coming out the same exact time as the Xbox and PlayStation.
5: Is that what's happening? No, it's because Nintendo wants you to buy Mario Tennis Aces first. Oh, well. (laughs) I have no idea. Aren't you going to buy Mario Tennis Aces?
3: The last Mario Tennis... I had a Nintendo. Um... (laughs) The last Mario Tennis I played was the one for the Nintendos. No, that's a lie. I played the one on Nintendo 64, and I played uh, Mario Tennis on the Game Boy Color, the one where you actually, like, create your own character, and it's like an RPG. Oh, yeah,
5: and you could bring it into the GameCube version or something. Yeah, yeah. I,
3: I loved, I loved Mario. Mario Tennis on the Game Boy Color is actually what made me start playing tennis during middle school. Like, wow. It is, it's actually what got me into tennis and made me try out for the team.
2: That's awesome. That's that's really cool that that video games got you into being athletic. See? See? We should put that into like some sort of a study or something. They have a video See? game that gets you video get games athletic. It's called you... Pokemon
5: Go. <laughs> Pokemon Go Outside.
2: So um, back, to, back to a couple more questions here. Uh, what would you say would be your most difficult role and why?
3: Oh, man. I mean, I hate to go... I'll give another example because I don't want to just cop out, but easily Rivali was the most frustrating role that I have done to date. Um, it just, I, I thought I knew exactly what he was gonna sound like and it was completely different and I had to start from square zero and f- work my way back up to understanding him as a character. And I i cherish that it happened with Rivali because I loved him too much to give up on him even though literally this is how bad it got. During the first break that we had for that recording, the first recording session for Rivali, I cried to my mentor over the phone, because I was so distraught at how much, how much I was struggling, versus how well I thought I was gonna do, and I was scared that I wasn't gonna be able to give Revali the performance I knew he deserved. But because I loved him so much, it forced me to walk back into the booth, like, put my emotions in check, be ready to play, be ready to rely on my director, trust that they want only the best out of me. It was as frustrating as it was, I'm glad it happened with him rather than anybody else. Um, so, outside of that, I'm gonna scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, let's see, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, Ryan's Army Persona 5, Smite, hmm, really, really difficult roles for me. That is, that is, that's a rough question, like, cause, cause normally you're not gonna get cast for a role unless you're a really good fit for it, um, Sorry, sorry for stalling for time. No, no, it's fine. I think part of, no, part, you're of
5: fine. The, part of the impetus behind that question is, um, you know, I've seen I've seen interviews with um, other people, uh, okay, like uh, like Kate Mulgrew, where she was like she was Janeway, right, in Star Trek Voyager, and she okay. she didn't struggle with the role so much as much as like at that point in her life there was a lot of stuff going on. It was really hard for her mm. to carve family time. Um, you know, work time, prep time, and stuff. So for her, it was like a personal challenge to overcome all of it. So it doesn't have to necessarily be like, you didn't do the voice the way you wanted or something, you know?
3: For an anime, I'll do one for an anime and for a video game. For an anime, um, it really took me a while to really get in my element as Dante Mogro in uh, Gundam Iron Blood Orphans, um, because Gundam is a very serious series. It's about, basically, kids being thrust into war. Um, and I'm not, Gundam wasn't one of the series that I watched a lot as a kid, so I didn't have a lot of the series back uh, backstory to guide me into the atmosphere of, of how those characters typically talk. Dante was also a, a deeper, older pitched role, and so just between not having as much knowledge of the series and not having a lot to identify with uh, in terms of connecting to Dante, it took me a little longer to really get a feel for him. And I, I, I hope that didn't affect the performance very much. For video game is um, a, a niche game called Akiba's Beat. Um, that was for, I think it was for PS3 and beta and stuff like that, Akiba's Beat and Akiba's Strip. Because in Akiba's Beat, I was brought in to record like a bunch of side characters because there's so much B.O. in that game. But I had been recovering from a fever. So, when I went in to record, my throat pretty much sounded like this. And I was playing like 10, 15 different characters. And I'll try and find, if you remind me after the interview, I'll try and find a uh, a video for you. But there is a, um, there's a scene that's basically a parody of Yu-Gi-Oh! And I play this school kid who's trying to challenge the main character. But because my throat is, like, totally torn by this point, I sound like this the entire time. Oh, no. It's, it's, I was so ripped uh, in, in my vocal cords. By the time I was done with that session, I called my my then fiance to tell her that I was heading home. And I could hear my voice disappearing.
0: As I talked. Oh, no.
3: It took a solid week and a half for it to fully recover. <gasps> oh so, no. So let's let's turn this Do they scenario... have
2: remedies and stuff like that to like help? Oh I was with I was voice?
3: I was chugging tea, I was taking throat coat, I was doing everything.
5: I'm uh. imagining little coats for throats now. Um so what's what's been the most fun role you've done and why?
3: Ah uh, see that's that's where I kind of have to do a cop on answer because like I said earlier
5: mm.
3: excuse me. Every role that I do is meaningful to me in some way. Either it's a milestone in that it's something I didn't accomplish before, like a lead role or a major role, or being broadcast on Toonami in the case of Sword Art Online, um, or it's a challenge like uh, Dante Mogro was, like Rivali was, or it's a chance to showcase something that I know I'm good at, like Santa from 999, or Zink from Fairy Fencer F, or uh, Teba from Breath of the Wild. Um, so all of them are meaningful to me for some reason. If I had to pick one, I, I, again, it seems like a cop-out, but I am really looking forward to Subaru Natsuki and ReZero, just because, uh, it's, it's cool for me to be trusted with such a large role in an anime that had an almost unanimously praised, uh, Japanese, uh, cast in it. Um, and because I felt like I brought the intensity and the emotion required to match that, and... I'm, I'm trying to think of where it's going. Oh, because anime has always been near and dear to my heart. Even though as my career has grown, I've expanded into other sectors, video games, commercials, promos, um, everything like that. Anime was where I started, and it was, it was my dream. When I started in voiceover, when I made my first post on Newgrounds saying I know what I want to do with my life, my life goal at that point in time was to voice in an anime. So it's always been there, and it's always been near and dear to me. And getting to play the lead role of an anime that's pretty much centered around him uh, in every scene is a huge challenge, and it's one I was more than happy to take up.
2: So, one piece of advice that you would give to somebody that wants to get into this particular field?
3: Into voice acting? Yes. Step one, www.IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com. Read all of it. Step two, www.voiceactingmastery.com with Crispin Freeman. Look it up, listen to it, listen to all of it if you can. Step number three, www.voiceactingclub.com. Go there, look up the, read up on the guides that people contributed to the forums. Start auditioning for independent projects, network with your peers, practice, get feedback. Do, 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 study, 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 learn, 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 practice, practice, practice. Like literally, voiceover is such a broad industry in terms of how to get into it. I've made an entire panel, convention panel, surrounding this because there are so many different ways to get into the industry. Maybe someone you know who you're close friends with is casting a game and they bring you in on it. Um, maybe you happen to try out for a Disney film and now Disney wants to use you in everything that you, that you know your character would show up in. Maybe it's, uh, you started out in radio plays and that's how you got classical theater experience and then you move out and you start auditioning for things from there. Maybe you went to a workshop for a dubbing company and the dubbing company really liked what you did. So they start using their, you and their products and you network with other clients from there. There's a hundred different ways to get into this industry. So rather than trying to find the one path that'll work, you should figure out how the industry works, figure out how you work and then start exhibiting the behaviors and traits and routines of people who would be successful regardless of what industry they go into, whether it's architecture or engineering or voiceover. If you exhibit behaviors common to successful people, you will find success.
5: I almost feel like that's like the final thought right there. I think that's a great final thought. Okay. But ask your last question. My last question is this. What's the one question you wish you'd been asked in interviews like this? And then answer your own question. What's the one question I wish I'd been asked in interviews like this?
3: Uh, so what do you think about the movie Rampart? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny you ask that. I, I, was, I had a really great time talking about Rampart. I wish that more films... I wish that more interviews would just spend time talking about Rampart because I worked really, really hard on it. Please check it out. It'll be in theaters later this month. Um, I really hope you enjoy Rampart. This. Uh, Any other things different. that you want to pimp while you're while you're pimping? Um, Might as well. well, it depends on how you how you want to follow me. If you want to follow me for reflection posts and and life check-ins, follow my Facebook Sean Chiplock. Um, if you want to follow me for career announcements and just day-to-day experiences and terrible funny jokes, follow my Twitter at SonicMega. If you just want my shit posts and my skits, follow me on Tumblr at SonicMega. Um, yeah, those are the main three. Basically, any role announcements that I make will go to Twitter first, and that's also where I do my raffles. I try to always give away merchandise related to the project or the role that I got to announce. Um, so, for example, when I got to announce doing Kadena for Maple Story, I gave out, like, $50 in NX cash. So, if you like free raffles and winning free stuff worldwide... Um, follow my Twitter.
5: Awesome. All right. Well, it's time for our final break. We're going to go do that, come back, and then we have a box.
1: You're listening to For What It's Worth. Brought to you by For What It's Worth brand dry erase boards. When you need to make a to-do list that you can easily ignore, think for what it's worth. Dry erase boards are everywhere. The popular kids making those videos online use them all the time to keep straight what they need to film and publish. That beefy British chef who used to be in the military uses it to make impossible dinners possible. And businesses all over the world use them to illustrate how they would like to synergize with your supply chain. Doesn't that make you want to get in on that hot, dry, erasable action? Of course it does. Only the most pleasing things are hot and dry. Just be sure to use a rag when cleaning, otherwise it might turn into a wet erase board. Are you tired of this thinly veiled, poorly written sexual innuendo? Then why not contribute to the Patreon campaign? There are plenty of tiers available, and you'll help pay for better writers and higher quality jokes, sourced from sustainable joke pastures. And if you don't believe that, then you can rest easy knowing you're helping make the show easier for Rue and Tugs to produce. Contribute today, or you'll get more awful double entendres. Warning, participation in Patreon campaign does not guarantee an end to awful double entendre. For What It's Worth brand dry erase boards, now sold with For What It's Worth brand lotion to prevent chafing.
0: Welcome to Get Psyched with Dr. Nuka. What would you do if you could be invisible for 24 hours? I want you to really think about it and be totally honest with yourself. What would you do if I gave you an invisibility ring that for 24 hours ensured that there would be no consequences for your actions, no one would ever know it was you, and you could be 100% guaranteed that you would get away with whatever you did? No jail, no punishment, no one would judge you, because no one would know. And again, I want you to really think about this and be totally honest with yourself. Okay? If it makes you feel better, I've asked this question to hundreds of undergraduate students in my classes, who wrote their answers on a piece of paper without their names on it, so there's no way I could tie their answers to them, much like you right now. There's no way for me to know that it was you thinking this. The most common answer my students gave was that they would rob a bank. Other popular answers were that they'd steal something. Others said that they'd stalk or spy on someone. Some admit that yeah, if they had the chance, they'd scare or torment or harass someone they really hated. And yeah, some of them said that they'd commit murder if they knew they could get away with it. Now be honest, were you thinking along those same lines too? The question addresses a topic that's been at the heart of social psychology for more than half a century, the topic of de-individuation. To understand de-individuation, you have to first understand just how much of your behaviour is dictated by social norms, the written and unwritten rules of how people are expected to behave in our society. For example, you wear clothes when you leave the house because of social norms. You know that if you don't, you'll be mocked or looked down upon or even arrested. You act polite in the store, because you know that if you don't act polite, people will think you're an asshole, and we typically don't like to be thought of that way. You bite your tongue and resist the urge to insult or hit someone you hate, because you know that if you do, there's a pretty good chance there's going to be some consequences for it. So what happens when you take those consequences away? What happens when you are no longer tied to your behavior? How does your behavior change when people can no longer punish you or retaliate against you? This is the individuation. It happens more often than you think, and when it does, it offers a chilling look into human nature. So when does the individuation happen? Well, it happens when you put on an invisibility ring. Now, granted, none of us actually has an invisibility ring, but we can put ourselves in situations where we have the same sort of anonymity that an invisibility ring might provide. For example, we can wear a disguise, a costume, or a mask to hide our identity. In doing so, we become functionally anonymous because no one can tie our actions back to us. Another way is to be part of a large group. If you're out by yourself and you throw a brick through a window, it's pretty obvious who the police are going to go after. But if you and 10,000 people walk down the street smashing windows, who are the police going to arrest? Can they even figure out which actions are yours? For decades now, psychologists have done experiments showing exactly what happens when you de-individuate individual people. For example, in one study, participants were assigned to either wear their normal clothes, to wear a nurse's uniform, or to wear a KKK-style hooded robe, one that hid their face. They were then put in charge of deciding how much electric shock to give a person who was trying to learn a set of words. In other words, how much punishments do you give them for every mistake they make? The catch was the participants were told that other people were watching their behavior. The result? Participants who wore the KKK style robe the one that hid their face, remember, gave much stronger shocks on average than the participants who wore the nurse uniform or the participants who wore no costume at all. In other words, when participants knew that no one watching could tie their actions to their identity, they were a lot more aggressive. In another more lighthearted study, psychologists recorded children who were out trick-or-treating on Halloween. They set up the study at a number of houses around their city. At each house, the setup was the same. A researcher would open the door and greet the children. The researcher then said that they had to leave for minutes, but they told the kids they could take one piece of candy from a bowl that was sitting on the porch. The researcher then closed the door and left the children alone on the porch with the candy although their actions were being secretly filmed. The question was, would the children take more than one piece of candy, which would technically be stealing? The results showed that the most honest children were the children who went up to the porch by themselves and who wore a costume that did not hide their face. In this case, only about 8% of these children took more than one piece of candy. Why? Because the researcher had seen them and would know who they were if they uh, found out that the extra candy had been taken. Now, who took the most candy? Well, it was the children who came up as part of a group of children, not by themselves, and specifically those who were wearing a mask that hid their face. In this case, 58% of these children, that is more than half of them, stole extra candy. Okay, so shocking people and stealing Halloween candy, what does this have to do with furries? Well, it's worth pointing out that the vast majority of furries spend most of their time interacting with the fandom online. And if there's one place where de-individuation happens, it's on the internet. The internet essentially allows people to interact with one another in the absence of the sorts of social norms that govern our face-to-face behaviour. In the real world, you probably wouldn't insult a complete stranger who was just standing in front of you, because that stranger could respond with negative consequences for you. They can make you feel guilty they could threaten you they could even hit you but online well you can say whatever horrible thing you want to someone and avoid the risk of having your face punched in couple this with the fact that you can even use nicknames or in some forums, be completely anonymous and you've pretty much got your own invisibility ring you can do whatever you want and no one can tie your behavior to you if you've ever wondered why so much bullying and bandwagoning happens on the internet both targeting furries and within the furry community itself, this is why it happens. It's because most of our app interaction takes place online, where everyone is, to at least some extent, de-individuated. The take-home message is this. Anonymity and de-individuation can be incredibly liberating. Fursuiters will tell you that they feel empowered to be silly, wacky, playful, and more social than they otherwise would be, precisely because their fursuit gives them that sense of deindividuation, And indeed, there's furries in some countries where the anonymity afforded by the internet lets them express their interests without the fear of being persecuted. But deindividuation is a double-edged sword. It allows our true nature to show through, which can include some of our nastiest, most brutish impulses. The next time you're online, it's worth keeping that in mind. What exactly are you doing with your invisibility ring? This has been a quick look at de-individuation. I'm Dr. Nuka, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Get Psyched.
5: Oh my goodness,
2: I am so freaking excited. Like, we got something in the mail that... We don't have a
5: PO gonna... box, what are you talking about? What? Oh, it was a, was something... that the drone delivery?
2: Oh yeah, something like flew in and just crashed into our window and we got a package. Yes. Pretty cool in fact. We both got a package. And so, what company are we pimping today? So this we is have... from
5: F it's FMB, the Furry Mystery Box. Um at furrymysterybox.com. They contacted us. They said, "Hey, can we send you a furry mystery box?" And I said, "Does it have a bomb?" And they said, "No." And I was like, "Well, damn it. Yeah, sure." <laughs> so,
2: what did you want to like send it to me and get Lola well, oh, on?
5: Well, then I'd own the show, nice. right? No. Um so so opening this box, um, I, 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 pre, I pre-sealed or pre-broke the seal. This It's a black box. It has a fox with a question mark on his head, some paws. It's actually a really cool box, and it says, Warning, contains pure awesome.
2: So I I like the little um, the paint and the little um, paw prints on the side. The one critique that I have about the box itself is it does have their logo on it which is really cool but I think that name branding is super super important and so I would probably recommend somewhere putting on there the name of like the company itself it's that's just my personal opinion
5: but I, when you I open second, it there. there's a letter
2: you you do see um, the name of the company when you open it so that that's pretty cool
5: So this letter in here, it says, Thank you for unboxing. First off, we'd like to thank you for taking time to unbox one of our furry mystery boxes. Second, we wanted to give you a little bit of background information about us and the things in the box. The team behind Furry Mystery Box have helped create swag and merchandise for various conventions over the years. We have a ton of experience manufacturing all kinds of items and have applied that knowledge to producing these boxes. Everything that you find in this and future Furry Mystery Boxes are actually created by us or by other contributors to the box. Nothing that you find in them will be mass-produced items that were purchased from a retailer. They are created by members of the fandom for the fandom. That being said, we have the capacity to manufacture some pretty wild things, so look forward to seeing them. We hope you enjoy your swag, the Mystery Box team furry Mr. Box team. So, first so item you got. I'm going to
2: pull the first item out. And the first item is let's see. It's a it's a poster of a horse that has is holding apples with two furries behind him that looks like that they want to either eat the apple or eat his apples.
5: His horse apples?
2: Yes, his horse apples. Ew. And then there's a cock that's on the side. A cock? Well, uh, yeah there is a
5: cock did and you see that poster yeah it says guest artist dark chibi shadow so cool there's a backing piece of paper in there but it's, it's sealed uh, the, oh I didn't even see that yeah. so uh, the next two small items let's see here we've got a keychain um, from ringtail cafe productions I, I admit I'm not sure I know what that is rude you what the possum it's a possum, but it's stylized. Does it after anything specific? Um, you know, I don't know. Do you know, Voss? Nope,
7: not a clue. Huh.
5: Oh, well, it's it's still a cool keychain. It's very cute. I Actually, I needed one, so I'm going to use that. Uh, the next thing in there is a pack of postcards with puppies! Oh, puppies! Um... Cute little puppies. Some kind of architectural picture. Um a knot because a knot, um, a really cool flower with, looks like a bird. And then, uh, that looks like, uh, it's a bug of some kind. That's like coming out of a cocoon. Um, this is from creations unlimited art. Let's see. Yeah. Creations unlimited art made these.
2: And then inside here we have eight buttons as well.
5: What are on the buttons?
2: Uh, on the buttons, we have, on the keychain button, we have a cat with a bow tie. Then we have, um, are those bats? Yes. Yeah. bats. Then we have um, these classes that there's a barbarian furry, a thief furry, a knight furry, bard furry, um, and a mage, and a cleric. That's cool. And I think that that's part of the ferality, strange new horizons. No, 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 no. That's that's our convention. There's a convention that they're um, pimping here too.
5: Huh. Um So that's pretty cool. Are these? What are these? These are trading cards.
2: Uh, I think
5: that those trading cards go with the buttons, maybe. Um. No, it's. I'm just making sure. It's called Starfire Agency. It looks like. Um, looks like it's just a, a, a card game. I actually really like the art. It has uh, quite a variety of furries on it and so forth. Um, very cool. If you're into, I can see people who are into card games like that, collectible card games, getting into it. Um, let's see. We also have a bookmark with a bunny. Yeah, and that's a pretty kick-ass.
2: Um, well, that's not a bunny. That looks like a a bunny with horns. Is that like a jackalope or something?
5: Possibly. I'm opening this other thing now. Actually, um, is this a bandana? Oh, yeah. what is this? The bandana. It is the a bandana. The bandana is my favorite. Oh, look at that! So it's a bandana with a fox and then a winged fox with kind of like a Mayan tribal print.
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that it has to go along the lines with Coco, and it's a, a spirit animal. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think James would just, I mean, Ink would get a kink, out, kick
5: out of that. A kink. Yeah. Uh there's a postcard for fur reality, which is a con in Cincinnati, Ohio. And we have the t-shirt. Yes, now this is the oh there's oh there's buttons and more stuff in here? What is this? Oh wow. There's more buttons hiding underneath it that just fell out. So oh yeah. Anyway, the shirt. Let's look at the shirt. Party animals. And it has a blue husky on it. Oh my god, this is lovely. It's super cute. Oh, and he's holding some glow stick. This is beautiful. That makes the box worth it alone. Right there. Like, like if it was just that shirt, I'd be thrilled. But this is a really cool box.
2: So, I had an opportunity to kind of look up a little bit with pricing. Um... I don't remember the exact price of this box, but I do know that shipping—you do need to pay for shipping as well. Um, they have it's, a box uh, that comes out every three to four months. Yes.
5: So it says it starts um, from twenty-five dollars for every three months for the box, or you can do the shirt for fifteen.
2: Oh, cool! And and they are pretty good shirts.
5: So. Yep. Um.
2: W- once again, this box is from the Miss the Furry Mystery Box and you can check them out at www.furrymysterybox.com
5: one thing i'd be curious about review wise is um they were able to accommodate me cuz i wear a tall size but they don't have it on the website so reach out to them if you need a, a like an, a, a 2xt or a 1xt shirt so does that shirt fit you if you yeah no they they accommodated the tall it'll fit fine oh that's awesome yeah that's cool um so what's your review? Um, you I feel? you know what I I have never actually received my own personal mystery box. Um, I know that you've gotten like loot crates and stuff, Rue, and there's sometimes right. some cool stuff in there. But I really actually do like that in the letter they said that it's not mass-produced stuff. It's stuff that is produced just for the box. I think that's really cool, and I really I really do like the art and stuff. And it's a good mix of toony, realistic, um, photography, animals, like all over the place. I love it. I think there's a lot of heart in it, and um, if you've got the spare cash. I say give it a shot. You know what? If get one, if you don't like it, you don't have to keep the subscription. But, you know, I'm delighted by what I got in this box. In fact, I've just picked up a new shirt. So I'm thrilled.
2: I I would have to say that the two things that I really like is the shirt and the bandana. Those are my two favorite things. Um, some of the other items, I do feel like that um, that there could be like I love the bookmark. Um,
5: that's pretty cool. These buttons. How do you use the bookmark um, with the Kindle? Awesome as well was that how do you use that bookmark with a kindle well (laughs) you're not supposed to tugs i'm sorry (laughs) um
2: but you know overall i think that the the shirt and the bandana are my two favorite things the rest of the stuff i'll be honest it's not necessarily something that i would um i would actually um go to a dealer and purchase um but i you know i'm not saying that that it's bad. I'm just saying that there's. Uh, it happens with any mystery box. Um, with loot crate, I was, you know, there are some times that you get some pretty amazing things, and then there's sometimes it's like, eh, you know, uh, when you're when you're making these boxes, you have to think about all of your audience and who's buying it and different things like that. Um, and you know, I think though, overall that they reach the the range for, for everybody, but. Yeah. Um yeah. So so thank yeah. Thank you so much for sending us this box you guys. Like awesome. Yep. Like make sure you
5: guys go check them out. And if you want to um, reach out to us with these kinds of items, always cast it what And also since we're talking about cast it for we are, we do have some items in the mailbag. Those will show up next episode in the B can't say it, yet, but you got the first hint episode. So hang tight and we'll get to your emails. Hey, Rue, guess what?
2: what's that tugs
5: it's time to switch things up <laughs> and do oh housekeeping gosh, <laughs> that was so corny <laughs> but i loved it don't worry because uh, so... i've got this too anyway right, so so you also have the
2: i like being anal" button
5: i do um <sighs> housekeeping so we want to thank our cast we want to thank Voss for being awesome and helping us out showing up uh on an unusual day for a recording schedule it all worked out we also want to thank fire breath he does our opening lines for now um and is just super awesome when i say for now he's going to take a short break soon and we'll have a temporary announcer more more coming on that
2: and i want to thank you tugs for being awesome and amazing (laughs) And I also want to thank our special guests for coming on to, to our show today. Thank
3: you. Oh, for- thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here.
2: <laughs> it was so great to bake cookies with
3: you, Fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Now take the dough and put it in my oven.
5: <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Uh, uh, we should just have him
2: do our housekeeping. How about that?
5: <laughs> uh, could. Can-
2: Um, so also make sure to comment on the site. We appreciate it. We're lonely on
5: the site. It makes it look like people listen to the show. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, social media at for what it's worth, for what it's worth on Facebook and plus for what it's worth on the Google plus. We're also on good old Telegram. Yes. Telegram. if you want
2: to join, please message us. Um, you can send us an email or send me a message at, at
5: wine red Fox. Yep. And also, if you like this episode and you want to share it, share it. Tell a friend. Tell them to listen to the show. More people listening means potential victims for our money extraction operation.
2: All right, guests, this is your time. Anything else that you want to say?
3: Oh, man. Thank you guys for having me, first of all. I'm, I'm really, I, I love what you guys are doing here. I love this ridiculous soundboard that you have. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I appreciate it and I would definitely hope to get more involved with the community in the coming months and years. Um, so, hey, if you guys are a furry indie creative and you're trying to look, you're working on an animation or a game and you need some help with possibly adding voiceover or looking at different ways of adding voiceover, whether it's extensive or minimal, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to hook you up, help you set up an audition thread. Um, I want to help the the fandom in general Uh, and it's mainstream progress Uh, be quality. I want more people to be able to not be afraid that their game isn't going to be taken seriously just because it features anthro characters. Um, And I want to be in your corner. So uh, let me be your middleman. Invite me to your conventions. Pay attention to me!
5: Buy my merch. I don't have merch, but buy it. I don't have merch, but buy it. Alright.
0: So Here's a sneak peek of the next episode of For What It's Worth.
4: Since I've moved here to Utah, I co-founded the Gay Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce here for Utah. Uh, I was co-chair for SAGE, which is Service and Advocacy for Gay Elders.
5: It's from Cody. Dear cast of FOA, Mr. Sanders, what have you been teaching poor, innocent Rue?
4: Someone that's kinky is not necessarily leather and sometimes someone that's leather is not necessarily kinky. I know a lot of guys that get into the gear and all the things, but you know, when, when it comes right down to uh, the way they play or the way they have sex, um, they don't really um, identify or function within the boundaries of BSM or, or kink. So in my head,
5: I want, I'll want i tell you what's in my head and then you can correct it, but I want to know what does a sixth engine really look like? Because in my head, it's kinda of like the end of Pirates of the Caribbean with like torches <laughs> on the wall and like cobblestone floors and maybe like a cobblestone textured wall and someone like on a wheel getting tied up and the shit beaten out of them. When you when you run up against a conservative culture, how do you how do you deal with that? Does it make you ragey?
2: well, it was a naughty party that I was at. Okay. And I was I was out sitting in a Um, I was in a sling type thing, and people were doing some naughty stuff around me. A blowjob where someone sucks on my enlarged clitoris sounds nice. Um, From what I've been told, there are no tiny condoms that will um, quite literally cover it. So I feel lost on what to do, who to talk to, and where to go and look.
4: You know, when I was an 18-year-old boy, and this, and I saw my friends uh, shriveling up and dying in front of me, um, it was a very scary thing.
2: Um, I know that um, golden showers is something that um, you're highly interested in. Yeah. Why are you interested in it?
5: See, here's I mean- the, here, here's why I'm like a little bit hesitant to answer. Is because my brother listens to this show, and I know he's going <laughs> to listen to this. And I know he's not gonna care.
2: I like being anal. You know, no. <laughs> well, this has been Rue. <laughs> this is Tugs. This is Voss. Seriously.
3: This has been Sean.
5: And you've been listening to,
2: for what, what it's, it's worth.
5: worth. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't know it! Yes! You still have to say the show name. Oh.
3: Okay. For what it's worth. Yay! That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs>